This podcast is brought to you in partnership with the Music Venue Trust. The Music Venue Trust is a UK registered charity which acts to protect, secure and improve grassroots music venues. The Music Venue Trust works to gain recognition of the essential role these venues fulfil, not only for artist development, but also for the cultural and music industries, the economy and local communities. They aim to preserve and improve venues, making them more efficient and improving the experience of performers and audiences. During the COVID crisis, Music Venue Trust mobilised music lovers to support the Save Our Venues campaign, raising over £5 million to support grassroots music venues and prevent closures. They worked hard to try and ensure that venues would survive and be ready to reopen when public health guidelines permitted. Now that some venues are able to reopen, Music Venue Trust is working to revive live, but that does not mean that all venues are financially secure. The next few months will continue to be challenging for everyone, and they will continue to fundraise for the venue support services Music Venue Trust offers, especially for those venues in need of the GMV crisis service. There are some exciting Save Our Venues projects still being worked on, so please do support where you can. Visit www.saveourvenues.co.uk to donate and do your part. and welcome to another episode of We Didn't Know How Good We Had It and this week this is really really special I'm joined by Tom and Sam from Blackfish how are you guys? Good thanks Rich. Fine thank you. Just fine that's all right I suppose it's as good as we all can be I guess considering well everything that's going on but yeah and how have you guys been over the last sort of you know 12-14 months or so Is, is, is life sort of slowed down a bit or um yeah uh no my life hasn't slowed down if anything it's been more complicated <laughs> but it fine you know yeah i've just been mainly looking after kids and uh doing a ridiculous amount of diy really fair enough keeping busy yep mine's mine's very similar yeah my lockdown was very similar aside from all like the sort of the downsides to the pandemic and stuff, the the death and, and everything, and uh, all the the bad effects. It's actually been quite nice to stop and take stock a little bit, and like especially at the beginning when it was it was all quite novel for want of a better word, and got to actually like hang out with my family. And my daughter was born three weeks into uh, into the first lockdown, so instead of having just the sort of uh, regulation two weeks paternity leave I ended up having effectively 12 nice which was great because I wouldn't have got any of that if it weren't for the oh, pandemic, no. but... so yeah it's, it's been silver linings and stuff I guess mm. um, I know it's not been ideal for everyone but I mean a lot of people have said that the you know, people who, like you guys who might be really really busy beforehand it's nice to have that sort of pause for a little bit um, and just sort of like I said regroup and, and plan for the future but I mean then again so if you're looking after a a three-week-old during the middle of a pandemic, I imagine that's just adds a little bit to the stress. But uh. it was, yeah, it, was, it wasn't too bad. It was good because you knew, like, if you got a bad night's sleep, it wasn't the end of the world. Because with my my teaching schedule, I was, I think, I was doing like six weeks off and one week on. So the stuff, time while I was at home, I was teaching remotely, and then I was a week in the in the building with the key worker kids. So yeah, if you got a bad night's sleep because of the little one, it was like, oh well, I'm, I'm only. Doing remote learning and next yeah, just hour, sit, a bit tired the, for that. Doing this basically, sitting in front of a computer and uh, yeah, I can roll out a bit and 
As long as you dress from the waist up, I think that seems to have been the, the vibe yeah. that most people have gone for. That's what I'm doing now. I've got my shirt and everything on, but nothing. <laughs> naked from the waist down. And, and com- completely shaved as well, <laughs> from like the nipples down. <laughs> what have you looked to, Sam? Have you been writing or anything over the last sort of 12 months? Because I know you, you had a lot of little projects and stuff that you seem to set yourself, um, well, even before then, I guess, the last 24 months, really. Yeah, um, at start of lockdown, I started, I kind of just, tried to maintain the level of kind of momentum and what I was doing already. So I was doing lots of live streams and I was still writing and trying to film stuff and, um, and things like that. And then it kind of petered off a little bit um, as it went on when there was still more and more uncertainty about what the shape of things were going to look like. And then I kind of soft released just like a little kind of basically was kind of a live EP towards the end of 2020. And then since then, um, I've been working on the next record, which will be out. Start, I think the first track of it will be out in a couple of months, um, and then that'll keep me busy through to the end of the year. Now that it looks like shows are starting to come back, I've actually got stuff booked in and stuff. So, yeah, I guess there was downtime, but in that downtime, a lot of it was um, taken up with just live stuff, really, to be yeah. honest. Get all the admin out of the way, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now actually it feels like it's all kind of come together all right now that stuff's starting to relax and things are starting to look like there's going to be a certain level of norm, norm, normality again. Um, is actually now I've reached a point, I think, where I'm able to kind of like focus on getting back to work a bit. I just want to ask you quickly, if you can answer this quickly, obviously, the, the first stuff you were, you were releasing, it was a collection of covers. Um, how did you sort of choose those songs? Were they just songs that meant something to you or just songs that you enjoyed playing? What was the sort of thought process yeah. behind it? There was all stuff that, not all, but it was almost all was the age of about 12, 13 through to like my late teens. So it was basically the stuff that I'd listen to the music itself. And it's not just stuff that you've heard around the house or on telly or, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Um, like when you start to like actually go and discover bands and records or whatever. So it was all it was all the stuff that kind of went into kind of shaping, I guess, my musical taste for a long time. You know, course, we lost you there for a second, but you said it's basically the tracks that you you picked up from being like sort of from the ages of twelve and onwards, listening to like you said, discovering them yourself rather than seeing them on the radio and the TV. Yeah, yeah, the stuff that the, the stuff that kind of went on to like form my musical taste especially kind of through my teens and into my 20s. Uh, just to anyone listening, if we keep losing Sam, it's because he's actually recording this from on a longboat on a canal, which uh, I think <laughs> is a first. <laughs> so we'll, uh, we'll play in there. But anything, we'll, we'll, we'll obviously try and get everything that you have to say about it. But that's, that's a good insight to it, because when I, I heard the record for the first time and I said I was lucky enough to, to put you on down here in Cardiff, it was great to hear those songs, because there were songs that meant a lot to people who were there as well, because probably the same sort of age of of you and I and a little bit younger um, that would have all those songs in there, like on their CD Walkman and stuff when they were on their way to school and things. So that's great to hear. Um, have you, have you been up to much musical, Tom, other than, other than teaching and writing Irish jigs, which we uh, had a little, uh, <laughs> little insight to? I'll, I'll send you that when we finish. Um, not particularly. We um, Just before the start of the pandemic, um, I, myself and, and Wiz and two of the guys from um, Shapes, Gavin Steve, do um, a band called To The Wall, mm-hmm. like a kind of um, hard and heavy kind of, I suppose it's kind of punk in a way. It's, just hard, it's hardcore hard. punk and it's everything yeah. about it. Yeah. But um, we started recording, we, we're kind of getting 
quite well known amongst the four of us now for doing projects that take us ages to finish. <laughs> and this one was so close to getting finished and then the pandemic came along. And we're actually recording with Sam. He's recording and producing the next EP. And we, we got to a point where it's like, oh, we've only really got a couple more things we need to do. It's nearly ready to go. Just got a couple more overdubs of some vocals and things. Like that. And then we just haven't been able to get it together. And ultimately now the ball is in my court and it's me just my life getting in the way and not being able to actually uh, actually do it, which is a pain. But it's it's then it's everyone else's kids getting in the way. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but the it's. But I've not, I've not been too bad. One of the things I've, I really, I didn't realise I did so much and missed so much was singing um, during the pandemic because it was obviously I'd, I'd do it all the time. There was a point when I was doing quite a lot of functions with like a, a covers band and there was a point did when I was doing... you do a Foo Fighters covers band? I, I did a Foo Fighters right? tribute, yeah, yeah loads yeah. of stuff like that. And I hadn't done any singing for ages and I was sort of... I'd be sort of singing in the shower of the kitchen and actually really going for it to the point where like my wife was saying things like, do you know that's really loud? Like, like super loud. And, and you're like, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> but then uh, last week, and I think it was a week, two weeks ago, uh, I got a message from a company that I used to do um, vocal overdubs for on radio jingles. Nice. So if you ever hear those ones where it's like, if you need a taxi, this is where to go. That's me doing that. Very nice. And um, I got asked to do one of those for the first time in ages. And so I went down to the lockup and tracked it. And I had such a good time just singing. So I, I sang this jingle out. And then I spent the next like 40 minutes just finding like Queen karaoke songs on YouTube and just <laughs> singing along to them just for no reason. Amazing. Didn't even track them. And I was really conscious that the people we share the locker were going to come in and there's just me singing in the heart oh! top of my lungs. Amazing. With you shaved from the nipples down. Yeah, shaved from the nipples down. <laughs> Completely naked. I knew Remy Malik got an idea really somewhere. Yeah. Like. Well, it's good to hear that you've both been both been busy on the musical front because I, I, I'm a huge fan of both of you and basically everything that you guys have, have produced either together or, or, or aside from each other um because i know a lot of people felt a lot of pressure especially last year if they were creative to use that time to create things um which you know it's never good to put pressure on yourself or have pressure felt for doing stuff like that so it's nice that you're able to do it because you want to do it and it's uh you know by your own means i guess um but oh we did leave something out though oh go on we also started on Brexit the Musical. Oh, yeah, Brexit the oh, Musical. Wow. Okay. Wait, which side are we on here? Because I'm going to have to end this really quickly so I don't get There's trouble. no sides. No, oh, it's, okay. it's quite an open, open-ended open concept, isn't it, Mule? But yeah, man. at the moment, we're basically just sending like little one-minute snippets on WhatsApp back and forth to each other of going like, how about this for an idea? Where like a little jingle. What was the one I sent to you? I'll do a love on you was one I'll of the songs. I'll do a love on you. There yeah. was... I'm blue, and my I'm passport blue. is. And my passport is yeah. <laughs> <laughs> incredible. Yeah, good. Well, uh, when's that? Is that Broadway straight off the bat? We're hoping. We really well. We've got to start putting it together. Like we've got a friend who um, he's a booking agent for a comedy club in Birmingham. I think he does a lot more than that, but that's sort of a general idea. But he's a, just one of those guys who's naturally very funny. And years ago, me and him started putting together a Noel Edmonds the musical, and it never really <laughs> came to fruition. And then as soon as Sam started sending this, oh, how about doing Brexit the musical? I was like, we've got to get Adam on this because he's going to love it. And yeah, he's he's behind it. So we've just got to really get together and 
hammer it out. I uh, I bumped into Noel Edmonds in Bristol Airport once. Really? And he's about five foot two, and that's in his heels. Uh, and I've never seen it. This was about quarter past five in the morning, and I've never seen a man with so much foundation on, like <laughs> just just to be out in public. Like I could get it maybe if he was filming something somewhere, but he was just on his own going into the VIP lounge, and I was like, "This no one's going to believe me." Like, I was on my own, so no one's going to believe me. I just saw Noel Edmonds in Bristol Airport. Just before we um, just before we flew to Portugal to record the Annual and I album, we were in the departures lounge and we saw Craig Revel Hallwood from Strictly. <laughs> Oh, amazing. <laughs> we wanted to go over and get a picture, and that was going to be the cover of the album, was the three of us and Craig. And Craig we, we bottled it. <laughs> yeah. My missus would be very, very, very jealous of that. I love him. I think he's sick. Oh, I, don't. It's just, I just think he's like a classic pantomime villain in the best possible way. Fab you lust. If you'd have got a photo of him with some goats, you could have called the act Hall Wooden Goats. No. <laughs> Does that work? No. Like Hall and Oats? Yeah. <laughs> 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 this is already right, spiraled um, out of control <laughs> and if we can i don't want to spend too much time on it because i really want to hear about these bands and your guys musical career but if we could talk about the early days of your your guys musical career because you guys got together at basically a really early age for for what you were doing necessarily the style of music you were playing but you know how well you you did with it and how professional you were at, at the beginning um, if you don't mind me saying, because I've read since snippets and stuff from newspapers and things that you guys were in back in, you know, when you were, what, 14, 15 years old? Is that fair? And um, how did it sort of come about where, when, when you're young and you want to be in a rock band, that's all you want to be. You don't think about the other stuff that goes with it, but it seemed like you did have your head screwed on with it. Was it like teachers or anything like that helping you in the right direction or anything? Um, I don't think there's anything like uh, we always used to say a quote we always used to talk about parents yeah parents yeah the par- our parents were tremendous with it our parents were just like yeah go for it like there was a point when we all had sort of jobs and we're doing certain stuff and then we it was just before we did the first ever tour for like six weeks with me in St Louis mm-hmm. and our parents were just like yeah go for it and we all got to sort of basically say oh, we're quitting our jobs you know these jobs that are paying us a monthly wage we're uh, we're quitting them because we're going to go on this tour and nobody's parents were like, well, well you've got to think about it. Everyone was like, no, go for it. You're young. It's a good time to do it. Fair enough. But the, the quote we always used to talk about, because we started when we were like 14, was we always used to say that everybody used to be in like rubbish bands until they got to, until they were in a different band that was actually quite a good one. Mm. Our rubbish band was Blackfish, but we just stuck with it. So like, <laughs> we, we, the music we were, when I first joined, when we were 14, uh, I was initially the rapper and that's that's not a, a funny you joke. Were, I was so genuinely you were like new metal style. Then, we were very new metal. We loved Amazing. Limp Bizkit and, and Green do? Day, and still, oh, still do. I found, I found the Dat tapes from that first Fat Man record. I got your message. Yeah, I want to find yeah, a Dat yeah. player. Yeah, and I, well, I think Paul might have one here at the studio in town. So, I'm oh, gonna, sick! Because yeah, I haven't heard those rip, for ages. So we're gonna have like yeah. Blackfish B sides in early days. Uh, released but only on that yeah <laughs> I mean it was it, the reason I joined the band was um, you had like am I right in Samuel before me there was like a, a proper line of other members other singers other guitarists and people different names yeah. and stuff but then I was playing in a I was playing drums in a mod band called The Original Solution mm-hmm. 
and uh, we were basically and then we basically just played like um covers of like the who and the small faces but i secretly was quite into limp biscuit at the time so i didn't really have the balls to tell the guys i was playing with like oh do you know what do you want to be a good song to do do you know break stuff? <laughs> Put that stop playing that Paul Weller. Let's do You're talking some... what, mate? Yeah. <laughs> and then um, I was walking past the music room one evening. I think it was a Friday on my way out of the school, and I could hear this band playing "Take a Look Around" by Limp Biscuit, but nobody was singing. And I was like, "Ooh!" And so I hung outside the door for a minute. And then when they stopped, I stuck my head in. I was like, "Are you playing uh, Limp Biscuit?" I was like, "Do you have a singer? Do you want me to sing the words?" And then I came in and. Wrapped, take a look around flawlessly, I might add. And uh, the rest <laughs> this is this man's propensity for remembering all the lyrics to every song ever written is unparalleled. Very true. I, and I, I still maintain head that. Full of lyrics and little else. Yeah. <laughs> I forget I forget what my children's names are, but start a rap in Boom Shake the Room by Will Smith, and I'm I'm well away. Those those like early tours and things that you're saying that your parents are basically just shoving you out the front door going, go for it, because not everyone gets the opportunity and stuff. What were they like? It's sort of, I mean, how old were you on your proper first tour? Or were you going to get loads of venues shut down because you were 16 again? No, I think when we first, like, actually toured, I mean, we used to play, we always played a lot, didn't we? Like, from really young. Like, we would, we kind of, because there was, the Birmingham was really good for, when I think about it now, you know, in comparison to, I don't know what Brum's like now, but from like what, what Leicester's like and other places I've lived, like you don't, there's, there doesn't, there's not, doesn't there, well, maybe it's just because I'm not in tune with it because I'm fucking old as dirt now, but like. <laughs> That's the third time you said that now, so. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but because um, we used to play like, there was an all, there was always like a 14 plus all day or at Eddie's, weren't the Peckett, like every yeah, fucking month almost. Right. Was that the original edges before it um, before it burnt down? Yeah, and there was yeah. there was a thing uh, where um, Birmingham had quite a sort of I say big. It seemed massive to us at the time, but kind of like a punk and ska scene. And it there was loads of bands that seemed to be doing all right. Like Fast was a big part of it, and yeah. and things like that. And so we and like uh, Sponge and things like that. And that seemed to be massive because they were on like TV and stuff. They had like songs on MTV too. And and it was like, oh, no way. So we were on these like Scar all dayers and we kind of got pigeonholed in this punk and Scar thing for a little while where we were like, we're, we're really not punk and Scar, but if we can get away with it for a bit, then we might as well. And then we slowly just started to, it wasn't until we'd sort of, that scene, for want of a better word, kind of died out. And then we were like, well, we're just going to have to sort of do this ourselves now. And uh, Kirk, who was our manager, him and Sam were living together at the time, and uh, purely platonic, just <laughs> to add that. But, um, <laughs> and then um, How do they, you know? um, yeah, they just worked their socks off, sending out emails and booking stuff, and uh, we just eventually go, oh right, okay, we've got a six-week tour around Europe. Let's go, <laughs> and, and that was that was about it. But yeah, sorry, you were saying about how old we were. I was trying to think. We would have probably, I think, I think we would have been 20. Mm. 20, oh, 21. That about right. Yeah. Old enough to have that some sounds about right. At least. I envisioned yeah, just like about 15, old, year old Tom Peckett with a mark haircut, like playing, playing toilet venues up in, up in Leeds and stuff with, uh, <laughs> with maybe a St. Louis. <laughs> 
I think to be fair though, I mean, because that was the first tour, but we had played outside of Brom quite a lot before that, but maybe just not like loads of dates back to back. Um, we'd already <laughs> built up by that point a pretty good network of promoters around the UK. Yeah. I had um, Ben Forrester from um, Bad Grammar on the podcast a good few episodes back now, and he mentioned seeing you guys in Brighton on the, the I think it was the Champions release show. Um, and he was saying like, it felt like even if it was part of a tour, if you'd have just gone there randomly just as a show, because you'd made up such a good rapport with people in different cities, like you said, it was always a special. Because I know a lot of these bands, you go do one-offs in places and it can be a bit hard to um, to draw a crowd in. Sometimes you see a tour poster and someone could plot whether they're going to go see you and things. Um, but like, there's a lot of credit credit to you guys for, for doing that. Because it was also back in the day not to not to show your age or anything like that, but it was back in the day before it was it was relatively easy to do that. Um, you know, there wasn't social media. There was MySpace going with Tom actually sent me the Blackfish MySpace link the other day, which is a, yeah. it, it's nothing like what I remember. And I'm, I'm only no. a few years younger than you guys, but that was kind of it, wasn't it? There was that and maybe maybe some like some kind of forum that people would create and you could just chuck all sorts of stuff in there. Yeah, yeah, I don't know, man. We just ended. We just had friends everywhere. We, we, and I honestly don't really. I mean, some of it was because, like, oh, we had quite a large group of close mates growing up, and like some of them moved away. But honestly, not a lot of them. I don't really know how we did it. We just ended up finding friends everywhere, and like I, some I of them are still what, people that I, you know, I'm sure you do as well. See all the time still. Yeah, I, th I think one of the things we were we always did quite a lot was we never really, um, you see, as soon as like people were always expecting like when they go, oh, so you're going on tour, uh, is it like hotels? And we were like, no, we're, we're broke. So <laughs> we'd turn up at shows and it kind of was in our best interest to put on a good performance and make friends with people because it was a good chance we could stop at someone's house and yeah. not have to sleep <laughs> in the van. So, what, and also, I, we were really fucking good at partying, man. Like, yeah, we did have a definitely lot of, a lot of to our advantage. There's um, there's one show, which I, I don't know if, if you'd remember, it's a show in Wolverhampton and you guys played it with um, Tom Edwards from um, Goddamn. He yeah. played it with his with his first band. Oh, and, uh, biggest fan club. Biggest fan club, That's yeah. It, yeah. And uh, he said that he said it's a great story. Um, Tom, had, I don't think he'd heard of Blackfish by then because I think he was a bit younger and he was in a bit of an indie band and, and whatever. And he said uh, Tom went over to him after the show and uh, lent in and went, "That was really good. If you like that, watch watch this." <laughs> and he was like, oh, "Okay, here we go. What's going to happen then?" And he said, "Basically, you just exploded and like just did till twenty five minutes, half an hour of of every song nonstop, like." all over the place and Tom was like I want to do that like that's that's what I want to do I want to be have that ex explosive musical power oh that's very nice of him yeah he said he was in some nightclub oh, that was lovely yeah I, I I could take you to the nightclub I think it was in the planet that's it yeah planet and it had the tiled floor because I remember watching your biggest fan club there and they had a song that was about a cat uh and there was a bit in it where it kind of went meow 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 and I remember thinking that's genius that's so good writing a song about a cat and then having a whole little section it and the bass player looked really sort of out of place and was just sort of singing this meow 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 and I think we did another couple of shows with them Sam with like uh Mirror Mirror yeah I think they did some Nuneaton shows and stuff so we kind of got yeah. to know Tom a bit through that and uh yeah I, I had the Your Biggest Fan Club EP in my car for months probably even years it was like um the, the, there was a picture of three of them all taped up like they were hostages 
And I always used to sort of get it out of the glove box. I'm like, oh, no, I still got that. Probably still got it in the loft. <laughs> yeah, so what was it like sort of playing with bands like that? I know a lot of the bands that you sort of listen to, but especially the ones that that's Tom's listed, um, you toured with them like quite a bit or you played quite a lot of shows with them. Obviously, the, the bands that sound good me, they're more about their American acts. Um, so I'm guessing you either may have come across them when you were, say, like when you were younger and, and moving into the writing things but how was it sort of making friends with the bands and then go on tour with them was it like was it easier doing that way or did you prefer playing sort of one-offs with bands that were around the country where you, you were the band and then it was just a bunch of local stuff no it was always better going on tour with well most of the time not always but most of the time it was better going on tour with another band it, yeah it was better, better for the fun side of things but it was hard work from like the another night of getting drunk three weeks into a tour trying to keep up with each other like, <laughs> yeah. yeah no one wanted to back down so everyone's like come on i can't even, i can't even think of a tour where we had one day this sounds like proper like oh rock and roll but it's true i can't think of a tour where we had one day where we kind of went oh do you know should we not have a beer tonight should we go we'll go have a, we'll go have a carvery do the gig and then we'll 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 go have a, a kip it was never like oh we'd always we'd always start with the best intentions of being like that at the start of the day so you'd wake up on someone's floor in Southampton and you go right we're up oh god we've got to drive all that way to Weymouth oh I feel like death I'm not drinking tonight I'm going to take it proper easy and as soon as you do the sound check and someone's like do you want a beer yeah I've got another yeah of course yeah yeah. (laughs) Yeah. next thing you know it's three o'clock in the morning you're out on the beach in Weymouth with your top off (laughs) (laughs) hairless again obviously yeah completely (laughs) shaved (laughs) what was it so if if you start talking about a couple of these bands, obviously a lot of the stuff will sort of come back up again um, as we go through it. But if we can start with talking about colour, because it's having done a, a bit of my research into now, I'm a big fan of colour and I re- didn't realise that their last tour was with you guys. Um, so how, how was that? Was, was that a little bit heartbreaking or was it something that like they sort of planned and sort of let you know, you know, before? I can't remember whether we knew before the tour or not i honestly don't mate honestly a lot of this these years that you were going to be talking about i don't think we did know on that tour because i've there's there's loads of really fun memories there. and one of the things that was brilliant about this kind of there was a point when we were playing like down in london quite a lot and a lot of uh, over at like kingston the fighting cocks mm-hmm. and a lot of bands that we played with there were coming back up and we were doing but like show exchanges and then we had our friend Matty who ran Dirty Otter in Leeds. So we'd go up and do shows with him. Mm-hmm. So we ended up becoming really close with these people who weren't from our town and um, specifically like Tube Lord and, and Colour and uh, Meet Me in St. Louis and all of those guys. It was really, really good to hang out with them because even though musically there was quite a lot of differences, it still kind of had some sort of hook. So we, even when we did the tour with Colour, we were a bit like, oh, I wonder if we're going to like, alienate people a little bit I wonder if they're going to be a bit like oh well I like colour but I don't like blackfish or vice versa but I think we ended up having like music fans as fans as opposed to just having I'm a fan of that band yeah or a fan of that band there were people are fans of that music in general so and that kind of um collection of bands so it made the tours loads of fun you can you could basically write a list of like you know 10 to 20 bands that are from that sort of let's say 2005 to 2012-ish sort of era that a lot of people, I mean, it's the main reason why this 
I do this podcast is to talk about those bands because they're the ones that I may have discovered after they split up and things like that too. You could draw a, a write a list of them and, and go, yeah, I, I played with them or that guy from that band is in that band or that girl from that band is in that band and stuff. And they're all still active in one way or another. Um, but I mean, I think it's really an, an endearing thing because as you said, like you could wake up in Southampton and go up to drive 120 mile to go and play in a really small venue and stuff, but you do it because you love it. And I think that's why people respect a lot of these bands as well, because they did it because they loved it. And then that expressed itself off stage with the, with the fans as well. Mm. Yeah, totally agree. Um, it so- was fun reading through. I was going through some stuff recently. I was sending it over to the boys on WhatsApp, like old magazine things, you know, like posters and, and articles and reviews and shit that we had in, in like Kerrang and Roxanne and things like that. And I was looking at it and it's so funny because you see like the photos that we did and the interviews that we would give. And if you compare them to like other people that even people that we like did tours with that were kind of not not from this scene necessarily, like other yeah. bands that were being covered by those magazines at the time that they even went like fucking like because some of them it's like you me at six's first thing being reviewed. Yeah. And, you know, like these bands that have gone on to be big. Um, uh, and you and you see what their interviews and their photos are like, and it's so transparent even now because yeah. you're like, you guys just want to be pop stars. Like you're just like, it's it, nothing wrong with that. And I'm not yeah. Yeah. saying there is anything wrong with it, but it's very it's very obvious that they were aiming for something from the get go. You know, it was very contrived and like, yeah. and then you see what our stuff was like, <laughs> and you can tell we were just a bunch of fucking idiots that just like. <laughs> just really were just mates from being really young and just like to fuck about together. I mean, if um, I can, if this is, it, it, I think that came across throughout the whole of it. Yeah. And I think it's, this will make terrible radio rich, but if I show you the picture, one of the, uh, in this feature that was in, um, in rock in Kerrang. Sorry. So that was one of the bands we used to play with quite a lot. And that was their kind of promo photo on this poster. Who is that just for, uh, for, for people listening? <laughs> that was the Outcry Collective, who are an cool. absolutely awesome bunch of lads. They were really fun to tour with. But their their photo was very kind of like moody. Clean-cut clean kids. and Clean-cut, yeah. Singer at the front. Got all this sorted. And then the one, Kerrang ran, the one that Kerrang ran of us was that one. <laughs> Amazing. Which I don't know what. They were thinking, yeah, that looks good. That's the one we'll have. We're well, the covered was, in silly string. And when I was looking for my, uh, my picture for an episode card, because I know you said that you didn't really sort of like keep all of those pictures and stuff necessarily like in a scrapbook or people save them online or whatever. Um, but I found an amazing photo shoot you guys did with a bunch of carrots, which I thought was amazing because <laughs> it, it's exactly like what you just said. Everyone who knows Blackfish or knows of Blackfish or is at least listened to a song can say, right, these guys are just having a really fucking great time. Like it wasn't about that sort of polished pop music and stuff. I mean, don't get me wrong. It would be great if you were the big massive yeah. pop band that you might want it to do. <laughs> but like, I, I feel like having known you guys for quite a while that you'd still be that bunch of lads who were just having a really good time with it. And then the other stuff is just completely just out there on, on, it, on its own. I, I think that's one of the things that um, some record labels we were really sort of struggled to understand about us was because they obviously as a record label, your business is to make money, is to manipulate what you've got and manipulate in the best possible way, manipulate to sort of create money because that fuels the jobs and fuels other music and has a link and stuff. Mm -hmm. But I think they kind of misinterpreted our sort of angle on things because we were always just a bit like, well, we want to do this. 
uh, okay. And then we do it and they go, oh, that's not at all what we wanted. And you'd be like, oh, really? Oh, what did you want? And then they'd sort of explain what you want. And we'd be like, no, we're not going to do that. We're not doing that. <laughs> like, we're for example, fucking... we did the um, the Christmas single um, that we recorded. Yeah. Um, was the, the record label had sort of mentioned, oh, would you, would you put it in a Blackfish Christmas single? And we were like, yeah, go on, might as well. <laughs> and then when we went and did it, we sent it to them and they were sort of like, Oh, they were like, we, we don't get it. We kind of wanted like a Blackfish song about Christmas. And we were like, are you serious? You like, <laughs> we're going to write a song about Christmas in like the style of our music. Like, no, we're writing a, we're writing a classic Christmas ballad yeah. with a key change and everything in the style of Band-Aid. And to be honest, it's one <laughs> awesome. of our like, most viewed videos on YouTube. It's absolutely <laughs> incredible. I'll definitely going to link that in the, uh, in the comments for people to see. But <clears throat> was that, I guess, was that the, the plan all along? I guess I know. We'll go too much into it. Was, the plan was just to have a great time and then everything else, like the shows, the bands, the tours that you were on, were just sort of like, this is the best part. Like, we've, we've, we're doing what we love. I don't know. Like, I mean, we were, we still, we, we, we wanted to be professional. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, you can kind of see that if you would come to a show and see, like, obviously how tight we were and stuff. Yeah, like, yeah, we, yeah. we really, like, we worked hard at the musicianship. And like the writing stuff side of stuff, like we took it seriously, mm-hmm. but we also were, I think, scared to take ourselves too seriously because mm-hmm. we've we kind of all grew up with this weird like idea that you know you, you can't ever take yourself. I don't know, like I'm still think a bit like that, man. I still take like what I do artistically really seriously, but I don't think i take myself too seriously but anymore i'm sure i have done at times but um you know i think like we we felt like i don't know peckett do you think that's true like no i totally agree we couldn't take ourselves too seriously because then you become a pretentious twat and like that was something that we were all really (laughs) scared of on the front cover of kerrang magazine (laughs) and well we worked really hard i think like that's that's definitely a point to mention sam yeah we we did we did work hard at it and it was it was fun and the thing, the thing that was nice was it was it was hard work, but it was fun work. So it never really felt like work. Mm. So then when sort of these like we get offered these like big shows and big tours, we'd be like, oh bloody yeah, we weren't expecting that. All right, yeah, I suppose that does make sense actually. Yeah, okay, let's do that that tour or that show. And it was just a good laugh. And then you kind of got to a point where you you'd go like, oh, I forgot that this is something that we're doing all the times so that it was just something you did, and was a great laugh doing. And at no point did it ever become like, oh, if we've got to go on tour again. Oh. <laughs> it was always like, we would, we would, we all had like, me specifically, I had a part-time job. I was really fortunate because I was a waiter and um, I'd basically just be able to book off tours in advance and sort of say, I'm not going to be here for two weeks, but as soon as I'm back, give me some hours. Yeah. And you get back on the first day back from tour and be like, oh, it's good to, good to do a bit of work. Good to have a shower and, not feel like I'm getting a cavity in my teeth and oh, yes. <laughs> and then by the about day three or four of not being touring again it was a bit like oh when's the next one what are we doing next getting an email off Kirk going oh, I've sorted this you're like yes, yes. we're <laughs> off do again you, do you think then because of all the hard work you did put in which which not everyone may have seen because usually the hard work as you said is done behind the scenes it's you getting tight as music, musicians it's working with Kirk and doing 
like how are you going to plan a release how you're going to do all that stuff allowed you then to enjoy it more when you're on stage because that's that was your element basically is that a fair statement i think could be too completely wrong no no i think i think you're right man i i that's kind of how i still operate like a lot of the work the 90 percent of what you do now especially as an artist is preparation so it's generating content, it's making the records, it's coming up with the ideas, it's planning, you know, campaigns and stuff. That's the majority of the work. And it's fucking not particularly pleasant sometimes. You know what I mean? Making records, Especially if you're making doing it on your content, own, I guess. Making, like, yeah. yeah. Um, but then but then actually getting out and playing shows is that's that's the reward, you know. Mm. That's the cherry on top. Mm. Yeah. And like we were saying about this past year and the uh in the pandemic stuff. I don't play a lot of live shows anymore as much as we used to with Blackfish or with Annual and I and stuff. We do the occasional to the wall show here and there. And stuff. But it wasn't until... to ask you is every, I think every show that I've, I've put, I've, I've basically done every to the wall show, I feel like. I think you probably have. I think there's been a couple <laughs> of odd ones here and there. And like when we do those, I didn't, I never really considered it something that was like, oh, I've got to go and do that. Like, uh, it's always like, yes, we've got a gig. It's going to be brilliant. And, it's going to be good fun. And until the pandemic, when that sort of thing was taken away and you couldn't just go and do it, you don't realise how much that sort of thing is what you rely on. Hmm. Like like we, the gig we did for you, Rich, in Cardiff at the Tiny, uh, Tiny Rebel. Rebel. Yeah, where you strangled Steve with fairy uh, <laughs> lights. Yeah. Yeah, and I covered him <laughs> in sellotape. And, yeah. <laughs> and that, that was a wicked gig because we'd been, we knew we were going to drive down we had a hotel sorted because obviously because we're all working, we don't have to do this thing anymore of like, can we please stay on your floor? <laughs> like, it's like, I'm going to be 35 in a couple of months and I can't be doing that. I'll go. I'm already like when you were trying to organize this podcast and I just kept going, oh, I can't. I'm going to see the osteopath. So it's really nice to have that sort of comfort to be able to go. I get to go and do something that I really like. I get to go play some music and people are going to watch it, hopefully, and enjoy it. And afterwards, I get to have some beers with my mates and just have a bit of a bit of a laugh, which essentially was what Blackfish was, and it just kind of stepped up and up and up. But ultimately, yeah. the core Spiral of it was having like... yeah, it was having beers with your mates professionally. Lads, lads, lads. lads. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And go, going back to sort of obviously, I want to properly start with the crux of the podcast and everything. Obviously, we're going to carry on sipping back into all the the stuff you guys have done over the years and stuff, but. Um, I want to ask you, Sam, about uh, a band that if I Googled, I was worried that the police were going to come and kick my front door in. Uh, it's a band called Plot to Blow Up the Eiffel Tower. Oh, yeah, yeah. And um, I would say I'd, I'd, I'd not come across them before, uh, as most of the ways with this podcast where band people go, here's a band that existed for six months and, and no one ever heard of them and stuff. But um, they were very, if you want know to saying, I can hear a lot of their music in but in Blackfish, and, and to be fair, I can hear a lot of sort of stuff in, in Anu and I as well, Tom, if you don't want me saying, where it's like more avant-garde and, and hardcore, but still really melodic and, and, and well glued together. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, how did you sort of come across them and what's, what's their sort of, like sort of uh, part of your journey? With Plots Blood the Eiffel Tower? Yeah. Uh, so when I first met Kirk and then... Weezak and Broads and and the Mirror Mirror Boys mm-hmm. before they were youths. Which how old were we then, Peckett? Because we were at college, so I think I was sixteen and you were seventeen. Does that sound about right? Yeah, and they would have been the same. So we first met them because 
Kirk was at um, Hinkley. Hinkley College and we yeah. were at Warsaw College and we were both, we were all doing music. So me, Peckett and Wiz were at Warsaw and Kirk was over in Hinkley. And it was the only two colleges in the West Midlands at the time that did a popular music performance course. <laughs> which now every fucking college in the world runs that course but at the time yeah. that was the only so we had to travel fucking miles to get out of there it was a it's a pretty shit journey it was not even actually that far but it just took ages because you'd have to do it on the bus anyway <laughs> um because they were the only two colleges in the west midlands that did the course they did this thing where you'd they'd come and play at the end of the year for you their bands would and then you'd go over and play for them so we went over there and played for them and kirk like we got talking to kirk and all gone and then we he booked us to go and play over in the neat and in, in Hinkley. We got to know him and the Mirror Mirror lot. And um and it was through him and probably Weezak because the first time that we played was at a place called the Fleur de Lis in the neat and it was the first time Kirk put us on and it was the first time we saw they were actually called this tragic vision before they were Mirror <laughs> Mirror. And it was sorry for they were just all beatdowns and um anyway Weezak had a Blood Brothers sticker on his amp. Yeah. And I got talking to Weezak after the show and was like, yeah, I fucking love the Blood Brothers, who my cousin had actually introduced me to in Dublin um, when I was, I don't know, tw- not, not young, like maybe 13 or 14. And at the time I'd bought a record because they told me it was great. And I was just like, I really don't know about this. This is like <laughs> fucking horrible. But it was one of them things, that, uh, I don't know if you guys have ever had this. I've had it quite a few times over my life where you have something and you go, I don't think I like this, but you can't stop coming back to it. Not like every day, but like maybe once a week, once every few weeks, you're like, oh, I feel like I hate it, but I've got to listen to it again. <laughs> anyway, I ended up like loving Blood Brothers. And so me and Weezer spoke about Blood Brothers and he was like, yeah, well, you've got to check out the other, you like that. Do you know this band? And I was like, no, because at that point, uh, they weren't on 3-1-G anymore, Blood Brothers weren't. But before they'd been on 3-1-G, which is Justin Pearson from the Locust label. Yeah. Um, and so I then had this whole can of worms open to me of 3-1-G, who I then ended up, some of my favourite bands, especially heavy and like punk bands, all pretty much all come from the 3-1-G stable of bands. So, plots about the Eiffel Tower and X models too. Like, my, probably like actually out of all that kind of stuff um, from that era and, and and of like really heavy and trashy stuff. Um, that's that they're the two bands that I've continued to listen to like right up to now. It's probably plots about the Eiffel Tower and X models, both of which were like on three one G at some point or another. Um, but yeah, so that's how I came to find out about them. And then, I mean, they still like, so pl- Plot to Blow, the bassist died and they split up. And then now like two of them do a band called Crocodiles that are still going. They're, they're still they're still going and they're great. It's not the same, but they've still got the same kind of like sleazy attitude. But the thing I loved about Plot to Blow, so, and they were a big influence on, on a lot of Blackfish stuff in terms of like, I love the way the guitar was so discordant so they'd be playing like a riff See, the thing about like metal stuff that never fully grabbed me was probably just how clean they felt it was like it was heavy but there was no real kind of emotion in it so it was all very you know you'd get a riff but it'd be played really tight and clean and really distorted but it didn't and you might get like a groove out of it and i'd like the groove but it also didn't quite feel as visceral as it 
was kind of pretending to be almost a lot of the time. Whereas with that kind of shit, it's still really trashy and they'd be playing like some kind of riff, but there'd be just like open strings ringing out over it and it'd all be slightly imperfect. And you could kind of really, you could taste the leather and sweat do you know what I mean? Just from like listening it had to their it. personality um, in, in it more so than like you said. Then yeah, so it was really and it felt violent. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, it felt yeah. violent and angry. Um, so yeah, that that's what I love. I love those guys. I say it's sort of when I started listening to it, it reminded me of the first time I sort of listened to the Dillinger Escape Plan, and that you know when you said that you listen to something and you go, I'm not sure if I like this. So yeah, I, I, I remember I, I used to work in an office um, ages ago and would just send emails all the time. And it was the first day I thought, I'm going to listen to the Dillinger escape plan today. I'm going to like get into it. And I can guarantee you I was the only person in the office that was listening to Dillinger escape plan on my computer. And I remember being like, I'm not sure about this. Like, I know that I should like it because of all the other stuff that is involved in like sort of musical taste and things, but it just didn't click until like six months later where I did like what you said, where I just kept going back to it and going, I do like it, I think, I'm not sure, but. Um, I think like, they you know did what I'm going to job of. Go on, Sorry, Pedro. Yeah, no, go on. You'd say I know what you're going to say. say. Do you know what I'm going to say about Dillinger Escape Plan? What's that? We we went to see when we I were do. 16. Yeah, we went to see System of a Down playing in Nottingham when we were like when Toxicity had just come out and we were like, man, this is heavy. I love it. Let's go <laughs> to it. And we got like lifts off uh, off our parents and stuff to Nottingham to go see it. And then um, Dillinger were the main support and. Every, I think they just got booed off. Like it was just compared <laughs> to what System of a Down fans were used to. It was just way out there. And we were, I was sort of in amongst them thinking like, yeah, I don't really get this. This is like, <laughs> what what on earth? Where's the... I think though, especially a band like that, seeing them live for the first time experiencing yeah. them, it being yeah. in a live environment when they were fucking chaotic as well at that yeah. point. Cause it was still Greg Pajoto, wasn't it? Yeah. And he was fucking wild and it was yeah. just, it was chaos. Oh, and now listening back to like Miss Machine and hearing it open up with Panasonic Youth and I vividly now when I hear that song have this recollection of the stage being completely dark and then it just kicking into the whoa, whoa, and the whole place just going nuts. Everyone, I'm, I'm pretty sure within like the first bar, uh, Ben Vyman had just jumped into the crowd. It was like, you're supposed to do that at the end. What's he doing? <laughs> like, and uh, yeah, and then I, and then after that, there was there was sort of name that was around, and I did that same thing. Yeah, I was like, I think I'm, I think I like this. That's a really good riff. But I and then now, yeah, one of my favourite bands of all time, Dillinger Escape. I, I think like in the next sort of six months, they'll be up there for me because I just keep doing the thing where I, I go back to them and go, I still don't know if I like this or not. But I know <laughs> that I should. <laughs> Once you get to the point where you go, oh, I really like it, go right back to the um, go right back to the EP they did with. Um, Mark Patton from Faith No More. That's that's it's that's almost like a, a whole new experience of Dinger. Once you got to that point, where you go, yeah, do you know what? Yeah, this is actually really good. Go back to the Mark Patton stuff where it's like, what? Just pull me back down to earth. Like, yeah. <laughs> what were you going to say, Sam? Then I was going to say, sorry, another example of a brilliant for being really heavy, but also really visceral and and kind of messy with it, but in 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 a good way is daughters especially on like i mean like, the new daughter stuff is great but like yeah. hell songs is another example of one of those just fu- and they're they're 31g alumni i don't know if i'm trying to think now it's 
don't know if they actually ever released on 31G, but they definitely have, have done a lot with with bands on 31G. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, that, like Hell Songs again is just phenomenal Ooh. for being a really heavy record, but it doesn't feel contrived. It feels genuinely tortured. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah, I remember that didn't that new the newest Daughters record did it come out beginning of last year or was it just before that? Because uh, I'd not come across them before. I, I think it was the end. End of 2019. End of 2019 yeah. I remember yeah. listening to it, being like seeing a lot of people who are you know musical peers and things, and uh, saying, "Oh, this new Daughters record is amazing." I'm like, "I've never heard of them. I need to get in on this." And it's the same sort of thing with, with the Dillinger thing, where I listened to the record and gone, "This is hard. Like this is yeah. <laughs> this is hard to listen to." And like I got why it was so abrasive and everything. I don't know. I understood that, but still sat there and I still don't quite know. But it's one of those. <laughs> it's one of those ones where like. People go, oh, I listen to like extreme metal and stuff like that. And you go, have you listened to the Daughters records? I think that even might be quite hard for some people to listen to. But, you know, I guess it's each to their own at the end of the day. Basically, I feel like I'll never like anything. And it'll just all be completely confused. That's, that's life, I'm afraid. <laughs> um, moving on to another band. Uh, just before band we move on, I've just realised, I think I, I think I called Mike Patton, Mark Patton. You did. I was going to. Say Thank you. you should have picked me up on that. Yeah, do you know it's because we were talking about saying the name Mark. Mark. Oh, before yeah. We were, yeah. <laughs> well, hi, Mark. Oh, um, hi, Mark. Patton. <laughs> <laughs> um, just want to move on to Ad- Adabisi Shank, who or Adabasi Adabisi. Um, I sent the second Adabasi Shank record to Jimmy Watkins, for, who used to be in Future the Left and um, Running Punks. If you guys have seen that, and he uh, he basically, I don't know if you guys have seen it. What Jimmy does is he listens to a record he's never heard before, runs to it and records his um, sort of experience to it. And it's always really, really over the top. And uh, he messaged me afterwards and was like, what planet are those guys from? <laughs> like, where, how do they like, I'll have to find, I will send you guys a video and I'll, I'll try and link it there because it, it's Jimmy's experience with the first round is the perfect way that I first experienced had a basic shank, which is that you listen to it and go, did I just hear all of that? from three people like did they do that um yeah what you see them live and realize that they did yeah yeah (laughs) i I remember the um the the one of those moments where you kind of go oh my god it was almost like a kind of like i was there kind of thing Hmm. um was uh mick the drummer from adabisi had been in contact with kirk and they'd put us on in ireland a few times and i remember coming we were on the way back from somewhere i think coming back from ireland and we were talking about everything, how the gig had gone and how well it was. Yeah, it was really good. And then someone had said something like, oh, I really hope Mick's band's good because he's such a nice guy. Yeah. And and he was, and we've had such good fun with him and he's such a, a down-to-work guy. It'd be really awkward if his band's rubbish. <laughs> and then um, and then we ended up booking a few shows with him. And the first show I was just watching and was just like, this is like nothing I've ever seen. Like you said, three guys, one of them wearing a hooded mask for no reason, not like it's not something they're all doing, <laughs> just or not something none of them are doing. Just Vinny, just Vinny with his mask on, and he's told me in the past about two or three different stories as to why he did that, and it, is, it just became one of those. And and then I remember Lars telling me once that they, him and Vinny, worked in an effects pedal factory, and that was where. And again, I don't know if that's true or not. And they just had this brilliant thing of just turning stuff out and they were just great fun to be around. So we did tours with them and it was brilliant. We just got on like a house on fire and 
every time they did a new record, I got so excited. Like, um, I remember they, when there was a festival in Birmingham that um, Kirk and the guys at the Flapper did called Off the Cuff. <laughs> and um, they played there and it was whilst my, I was living with my parents. My parents were on holiday, so I had loads of bands just stopping at my parents' house night after night. And on the Sunday, or the Monday, I think it was, after Adabisi had played, as they were leaving, Mick was like, oh, I've got a, you can have a copy of the new album. Uh, it was the second one. And that day I had to drive to Gatwick Airport and I listened to it twice on the drive there and twice on the drive back. Yeah, you and felt it like was, you were travelling through time. It like, was amazing, <laughs> especially because I got so into like the first EP and the first album. I was like, wow, this is really catchy and oh, I'd love some of the stuff. <laughs> and to hear the progression, it was that... Um, What's the first track called now? Um, International Dream Beat. Yeah. yeah. With the the build-up of it on the kick well, and snare. I, and then... I remember seeing that. The first time I heard that tune was when we were playing in Whelan's with them in Dublin. And I remember watching and thinking, how the fuck are they doing that? Like, <laughs> because it was it was Mick just hitting the kick. and, and then It was the, the rim, rim of the kick. The rim of the kick. And it was somehow going... And I was like, yeah, was, it, how have they was, done this magic? The kick, yeah, the kick was like triggering the sample of the blip, yeah. blip, blip. And then when he hit the rim of the kick drum, it was like it triggered the same sample, but in a different, a different way. way. And I bet, yeah, if, I, bet if I asked them about it, or if you asked them, they'd just be able to explain in some really straightforward way, oh, it was just this. Yeah. Probably but just, and then when that song kicked <laughs> in with the... It's just this huge wall of sound from three guys who've just got a load of effects pedal and when you watch them on stage and they're going absolutely nuts and you're thinking how are you nailing this like the sound you're making how are you putting on a performance like you are and just still getting through it or and how Vinny hasn't like passed out several times from basically wearing a hoodie and a balaclava like it's mental but now they're, they're, they're one of my go-to bands. I, I constantly go, like, any time I'm thinking I need to listen to something, it's always a, a shuffle of the first three albums. I can't even pick which one I, I like the best. I, I did feel bad when I, I sent it to Jimmy to to run to for hearing it for the first time because I, I can imagine. He gets so excitable anyway. I'm like, that record doesn't doesn't stop oh. like this. <laughs> and, and how he was able to absorb it in that you know, what is it, like 33 minutes long, something along those lines? It's, it's not a particularly long record in any stretch, but this... It's a good one to run to, though. Oh, yeah, it's got... Yeah, because it's effectively really dream beat. Just yeah. nice and rhythmic and, yeah. It, but it doesn't give you a rest. Like, I mean, that's what I love about it, because I love music like that, where you listen to it from start to finish, and you, at the end you go, whoa, okay. Like, I know, like, when people are writing records and stuff, you go, oh, I'm going to have a bit, of a bit of a slow one in the middle there, just to sort of give the fans thing. They build them up and all that sort of stuff. They just went, let's just do 100 mile an hour from start to finish. Yeah, all the time, though. And that's the nice thing about listening to their albums. If you listen to them in, like, uh, consecutive order, you know which band it is, but you can hear a development. So by the time it gets to the third album, the sound on it is completely different to the first album, but you still know it's the same band you still know that it's the three of them making this crazy sound using all these different samples and pedals and things like that. There's the, what's the last track on the last album? Um, Voodoo Vision hmm. is just a masterpiece. Uh, listening to it in the car, full pelt is just one of those things. I'm away to work. It, it almost takes me directly from my house to my job, like start to finish. So some days if I'm a bit like, need a bit of a, an upper, <laughs> that's straight on and yeah it just it puts you in a good mood as well because a lot of it's 
around like a major scale as well. Yeah. So there's very little of it that's kind of downer or a bit sad. It's all very like, way, we're doing it. Come that's on. It. There's always little bits in it that do catch you off guard because you're so used to this super joyous sounding stuff. Then it'll be like one one slight note that's just slightly out of the way. Like you can listen to the record, like songs and stuff all the way through and zone in and then it throws you off just a little bit. I, I love, I like the second record is one of my favorites. I was lucky enough I've got a test pressing of it somewhere in oh, nice. here that um, Kevin from Big Scary Monsters gave to me. And um, it's like, I, I put it on my CD player once. I'm like, I feel bad playing this. Like, I, I just want to just look at it. Cause I, I know what it sounds like. It's just, this is a piece of art all the way through from start to finish. That's awesome. Are there any other bands sort of around that time that both of you would sort of name drop and, and want to have a, a quick quick call out to? I was thinking, Mule, I was going to mention these, but I thought uh, maybe maybe not. But now I think about it, uh, Bear versus Shark were one of those yeah, man, consistent bands who I always like. Again, I sort of heard periodically. It was another one that one of Kirk's where Kirk was, oh, you should listen to these. You really like them. Hmm. And we'd always just have it on in the van or in the background and stuff. And it wasn't until I actually sat down and listened to it, I realised I knew loads of the songs from just sort of taking them on. And the the vocalist, um, Mark Paffey, is just a genius. Like, oh, right. I'll second that. Like, lyrically, some of the stuff he comes out with, it's just... it's. I've, I've done it so many times where... I, I try and sort of be like, no, I'm gonna, this is going to be my original idea. I'm going to come up with my own vocal line that's going to be really my own sort of thing. And I'll track it and listen to it. And I'm like, oh, I've just done, I've done like loads of Mark Paffy ideas. I think and just <laughs> like inadvertently, they've kind of just sort of seeped into my, my, my very being. And now Bear versus Shark is just one of those things that falls out of me all the time. Like, I just think it's, it's, it's wonderful. Have you, have you got anyone to add? I know we've got one last one last band from from you, Sam. But um, bloody hell! Uh, I'm sure there is, man, but I don't know. I haven't got the mental capacity these days. <laughs> That's fair. Um, I'm, I'm sure after we finish man. recording this, they'll all pop back into your head, and we'll just have to do round it, two. It, it, it does kind of all be. sort of roll into one really sort of big, long, fun section, like decade. Uh, the the span yeah. of Blackfish because there's just so many. Because, like I said, because we started when we were 14 and we went on for so long, hmm. it kind of became this kind of rolling thing. And, like, we just did loads and loads and loads and loads of work with loads of different people. So, it just got, like, like the JCQ, like... Oh, they were a fantastic band. Like, just, like, another flawless band where we, we did loads Man, of that first That first EP, because me and Kurt put the first EP out, and it was because we walked in, we were playing with them in Brighton, and I remember walking into the room, and it's when they used to have the drums on mini disc. Remember, before they even oh, drum yeah. <laughs> And I remember walking into was it Prince Albert or somewhere like that, and um, Brian, yeah, and watching them and just being like, "This is fucking." I mean, they reminded me of a three one G band immediately. That was the first thing I thought. It was just like this chaotic mess, sleazy, so yeah, sleazy yeah. and visceral. And I remember about two songs in, Jim just threw his like solid fender jazz bass up in the air like that off of him and then just looked up at it and let it land on his face and just popped his nose he was pissing blood everywhere Fucking hell. and i was like kirk we've got to, we've got to do we've got to put this record <laughs> so we've got to work with these guys that man broke his nose they know what they're doing like <laughs> sign them up exactly. straight away i remember the first time that like, the jcq i got into very late in their career to be honest with you and when i first heard ghost diffuse and being like 
holy shit like there are guitar harmonies and stuff in the background that match up with the vocal line in there that they don't make sense the first time you hear them they're not that it's not over the top or anything like that but it just fits so perfectly mate Maud um, is legit a musical genius yeah he's one of the, the cleverest musicians genius and like what he does so well which is a certain aspect of music that i love and, and always have is kind of finding melody and harmony within discordance and atonality. Yeah. And he is, like, honestly, one of the best there is at that. I mean, the, the only other band that I could compare to them that do that kind of melody in in dissonance thing so as well is, like, do you know a band called Brainiac? Who uh, yeah. They were from Dayton, Ohio, back in the 90s. And the singer, they, they, they released a couple of albums and a couple of EPs, and some of them is, like, some of my favourite music ever. It's good actually. We've got managed to come to this because this is a band that I've, yeah, like you asked about um, bands that have broken up that I like that I'd forgotten. But yeah, like they're um, the main dude. He he died so just as they'd signed to a major, like in the, the kind of late nineties. But they, um, Kim Deal from Pixies and Breeders produced a couple of their records, mm-hmm. but it doesn't sound anything like that. Like they. I don't like Nine Inch Nails, right? They're not for me. I can see what people might do, but they're not for me. But like uh, Trent Reznor's a massive Brainiac fan and you can really tell because they were one of these first bands that were using keyboards and synthesizers, but in a band environment, um, mm-hmm. like with guitars and live drums as well. And not just doing Rick Wakeman, really, right? Yeah, not Rick Wakeman, but like doing it in a <laughs> whoa, really... Whoa, 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 like, let's not bring Yes into this. Hold on. <laughs> I'm out of here. <laughs> doing it in a, in a really kind of like... Um, in a really angular and kind of weird way, but you should check them out, man. Like Hissing Sprigs in Static Couture is like a fucking masterpiece, which is the last album they released before he died. Um, but yeah, if you if you like JCQ and that side of the JCQ, then I think you'd really be into that. It's, it's really cool. There was a, a record that Damien from St. Pierre Snake Invasion uh, talked about on, on his episode a few weeks back, a band called The Paper Chase. Um, and I don't know if you guys have ever come across a John Coggleton. And yeah. that, that's the same sort of thing when you say that um, it might not be, well, I mean, it's not for everyone, let's be honest, because you're not hearing any tracks on Radio 1 and people happily pooling around in their yeah. cars to it. But finding that melody in pure dissonance is like... Yeah, it's amazing. It, I think it's... Not many people can do it. Um, and I think it is something... You have to hear things a bit differently. Yeah. You, you, I, I feel like people are wired a little bit differently in a, in a good way because it... it, it attracts people like those guys and, and hopefully for the people who are listening to this and things to be like they look out for the weird in things um and sort of embrace it a lot more than some other people do like you know you can have your radio friendly unit shifter bands and stuff like that which is great but i think also it's very easy it's i say it's very easy but it's 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 easy as well to make like kind of uh, to, to make conventional melodic and harmonic stuff it's also easier to make completely atonal noisy (laughs) shit but to be able to do what they do which is kind of find this midpoint where you find melody in dissonance and like that is like you say i think you do have to be wired up a bit different that is a real like kind of unique quality i just thought of another band i would like to mention which is life without buildings which i know are a bit kind of marmite but it's, it's one of those bands that I absolutely loved kind of in my late teens and early 20s. And then I kind of forgot about them up until about two years ago. And then I, I was like, I had one of the songs stuck in my head and I was like, fuck me, man, that record. So I've listened to that 
a lot over the last two years. Um, but especially the song, The Lean Over, is amazing. It's like performance art. She's a performance artist now, just like vocal performance artist. And she kind of just like, it sounds like she's just reading a fucking diary and she's just making it up but yeah. and, and just finding a melody within it. But then the yeah. music's like really quite straight up, I guess, kind of emo stuff. But um, yeah, man, that, they're, they're, they're brilliant. Oh, so that, I am making a list as you go through them as well. So if you can hear me tic-tacking away, it's because I'm yeah. fully making a list of all these bands and stuff. Me too, and I've known him for nearly 21 years. You, <laughs> mate, oi, heck it, you'll know, you'll fucking, you'll know life about buildings. You know, if you heard it, you'd definitely know it. Is it one of those ones that would have been on one of Kirk's tapes that Wiz had in his punto? Yeah, man. Well, you remember, <laughs> you know, do you remember, do you remember it's like really emo-y sounding and then it's got, do you remember like um, Sail On Tomorrow? You know Henry, yeah. who's now in in this town needs guns. Yeah. who was then he, yeah. Do you remember Sail on? It sound musically, it's very similar to that style of like UK emo, um, twiddly like quite American like football. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But then yeah, and then like Life Without Buildings though, she's got this like weird, really weird vocal style. But it's I think it's quite marmite because I know some people that fucking hate it, and I can understand like why. But I just think it's genius. It's, 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 you'd know the song, man, definitely. Cause it's like, if I lose you in the street, if I lose you, if I lose you, nah, 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 the do, 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 the baby, baby, come sit with me, baby, baby. That yeah, definitely bells? don't know me that. <laughs> 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 I'm not going to ask that. It just sounded like you just made yeah. that up. When I it didn't sound like you were like, <laughs> it's like, like Rich exactly. Sam, make up a song for us on the spot. <laughs> what, now? Oh, all right. Um... <laughs> This song's called Marmite. <laughs> That's pretty much exactly how it goes. That's what I mean. It's it's pretty unique. Just while we're on that sort of like, uh, this may be boring to people who don't know how to write songs and things, but for me, I'm absolutely fucking loving this. But when it came to writing stuff with Blackfish, did you guys have that? Like, you knew what you wanted to write. Like I said, boil it down. It's, it's fast punk with time signature changes, dissonance and stuff. Was that like a cognitive thing or was it just the way that you wrote and the way you were influenced by people? Well, if I can jump back to something that you said about um, being able to hear Plot to Blow Up the Eiffel Tower in And You and I, mm -hmm. I don't really know much Plot to Blow Up the Eiffel Tower. I listened to it periodically a little bit when we were touring and stuff, but not to the point where if you put it on, I could go, oh, this is Plot to Blow Up the Eiffel Tower. So any Plot to Blow Up the Eiffel Tower influence you can hear in And You and I, is probably more Sam's influence in Blackfish influencing the songwriting in and you and I yeah so it's kind of like a kind of progress a pass on sort of thing yeah yeah because when um, we did I a, think like with the Blackfish stuff it was more just about trying to fuck with people was, <laughs> yeah I mean was there was a point like it wasn't really there wasn't any like I just write like this I'm just weird it was just <laughs> like right okay what what is What's going to be the weirdest thing that you can, not weirdest, but like, how can you fucking, how can you give people not what they're expecting to hear right now? Yeah, it would all, it would all, that be was that, definitely like, a conscious choice on my part. But yeah, it was always because Sam was like the, the brains of the operation right. and would come up with these brilliant ideas. And then we'd all get together and basically it was never a kind of case of like, I've written this song, this is how it goes. Hmm. It'd be a case of like, I've written this song, Wiz, what are the drums going to do? Yeah. Rich, what could debate? And then we sort of write it based around this idea that Sam had, and then it became what it was. Because like, I remember when we wrote like economics, the riff was a lot more angular when you brought it to us, Mill, and it was yeah. a lot more kind of stop start. Yeah. And then when we sort of played around with it a bit more, and it came with the da, 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 and you get the groove, and we put the and then Wiz was like, oh, it should sit back a little bit more, and we should be able to ride on it a bit. And 
we sort of we we reined each other in as much as pulled each other out as well. So there'd be bits where we'd be like, now, now that's got to be madder yeah, now's, than that. Now's the moment, like, yeah. Like, I, I, the bit I always come back to is the bit in, oh, I can't remember what the song is called now. Um, uh, uh, Closer to the Bone, The Sweet of the Meat, the bit in the middle where it does that. And when we were writing that, it was just a bit like, it was just like sections of being like, this bit, then that bit on the toms, then we'll do that. All of us do that. We'll do this next bit. That bit on the on the hat. Then you go. It's gonna break down. Then it's gonna go back to it. And we were just like we got so excited writing it, putting it together. But that one section must have taken us about two or three band practices to nail because we kept just sort of going. Oh, let's do that. Oh, let's do that one like a beat longer. Because no one would be expecting that. Where you were like writing down like each little section and each was like three seconds long's worth of stuff. Well, again, that was something something we didn't do was we didn't really write things down. It was always a case of we'd practice it. We might record it on a phone or but at the time when we started writing the champion stuff, we were sort of in between tours. So we'd kind of find places during a tour to maybe stop and have a practice or if we had a day off we'd go and practice which sounds like the lamest thing for a band to be doing like <laughs> yeah. we're going to do in a massive tour and we're doing on the day off back to the whole like you're working hard like that's the stuff that people expect you to go off and yeah it's like oh shall we go and have a look around paris no no fuck that let's go and find somewhere we can set up yeah we like, went yeah, just like, drive we went to some mental yeah, we went to some beautiful parts of the world and saw nothing of the bits that you're supposed to see when you go to those beautiful parts. Like we played a gig in Rome and um, we turned up early at the venue and we didn't know how long it was going to be till they opened the venue. So we were sort of moaning and ahhing about leaving the van and then going into the centre of Rome on the tube or something. But while we were there, the place we were playing seemed like a really dodgy area and we didn't want to leave the van full of stuff. So we basically turned up at a venue at two o'clock in Rome, sat in a van for four and a half hours until the venue opened and then played a gig. And then it was, oh, you've been to Rome? Yeah, I saw effectively a council estate in <laughs> Rome and then played a gig under some flats. When, when in Rome, eh? When in Rome. <laughs> Don't How see the Colosseum. Just again with the whole songwriting thing, because this is something that when I, I see bands where they've got like I say two front men or two front people, like I know that may not have been the way that you planned it in your head was like, oh, we're both the front men or whatever. When it comes to like the call and response vocals that you do with a lot of the stuff, how did you decide if you did who did what bit? Was it sort of like did you write, if say if you were writing a bunch of lyrics, Sam, did you like then go, this is your line, Tom, and this is my line, and this is your line? Or did it just feel really natural to have that? Or did it give you a break from in between playing all those we, mad twiddly bits? Like? Man, we sang together so much for so long. I, d- I don't, I mean, the, there may well have been a bits of that where we were like, all oh, right, you take this, but you take... It usually was obvious to us. I think. Am I right in saying that, Peck? It totally, always yeah. felt like it was. It was just obvious who was going to do what bit. There'd be bits where I kind of like. I became quite obsessed with like harmonising to stuff. I listened to a lot of things like Coheed and Cambria, where there's just like a harmony all the way through and stuff yeah. like that. And so there'd be points where Sam would be singing a melody, and we'd be at practice, and I was like, "What are the words?" And we'd put a harmony to it, and stuff. Yeah. And then it had just sort of developed from that point, and. Some of the songs we wrote, uh, like in the car between the two of us and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, where... we, we actually did that quite a lot, didn't we? Yeah. We'd just be sitting there and we'd be just doing the song in our heads. We wouldn't have anything music and we'd yeah. just be like, oh, well, to that bit, we could do that. Man, I found the fucking the infamous notebook packet on Among That Stuff with the, <laughs> the with ninth, the bass, ninth lyrics. bass 
Drake's lyrics in that nearly stopped me getting into America. <laughs> <laughs> is that a story for another day, is it? Yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty dark. <laughs> um, so we'll just we'll move on to I think, the last band that's on the list. Uh, is it Songs Ohio? Am I pronouncing that right? Yeah, Songs Ohio. Yeah, I had a quick... Um, I, I didn't have time to listen today, I will be completely honest, but I did a lot of reading up and it's quite um, like... A, quite a sad story I guess behind it because I always hate it when you hear a band is split up because someone's passed away I, I always hate that yeah. especially you know it whether it's Nirvana or, or Jeff Buckley or whatever but when you're hearing bands are, I, I think Tom from Goddamn put it perfectly I've given myself the worst job in the world here to discover a load of bands I'll never ever be able to see uh, and <laughs> I, I feel like especially in situations like this bands that are split up fine they could get back together or they could do this that and the other whatever but when you've lost someone, it's it's a lot harder to, to play a gig like that. But how did you come across them? Was it another like songwriting thing that you sort of discovered along the way? Um, I'd known about them for a long time and maybe and didn't really get into them properly until know, a few years ago, five years ago probably. Yeah. They were always like on the periphery, and I'd know the odd song and like the odd odd bits, but um yeah that definitely ties more into like what i've been doing recently yeah you know um but i think because basically it's just one guy pretty yeah. much songs are higher is yeah, just J- jason, jason Molina, Molina, and he yeah. went on to do yeah and then he went on to do magnolia electric company as well and um <clears throat> yeah he's just he's just a phenomenal songwriter and like this his story is very sad and um I don't know even what I really make of him as a person, to be honest. Like, um, it's hard to have an opinion, isn't it? But I mean, but yeah, I think he just has has written some of the best music I've ever heard. Like, a song. If you're just talking about songs, and I mean, like, I've always been. I mean, I've spoken about this several times before, but like, I think probably if I only had was able to listen to one album for the rest of my life, it'd be Graceland because it was like something that I was brought up with from the day I was born. Yeah. It was like, it's just been omnipresent in my life and it's a record that I've never, ever stopped listening to. So I think I kind of was was tainted with like a love for country really early on for that st- style of like, because I think what Graceland has is, I know that it's dressed up as something else, but essentially it's just Paul Simon's written a load of fucking really good country songs, but they're all in a major key. It's about three or four chords, but they s- are so sad sounding, you know, yeah. like there's some there's some real sorrow there, even though they're presented in a really positive way. That always baffled me. And I feel like Jason Molina is the king of that. Like he, he just writes these, not always, but a lot of these pretty, pretty simple kind of three, four chord songs that tend to be in major keys. And, and, but they are just like the saddest thing you've ever heard in your life. It just makes you fucking weep. And his voice is just phenomenal. I mean, it's like one of my favorite voices ever. Um, so yeah, that, that, that's really the story of that. And I actually couldn't tell you how, I think it was just one of these bands that lots of people I'd known years may have mentioned and played me bits of, and then eventually it just clicked. And I, I, I actually couldn't tell you how or, or why really. That's fair. Like, I mean, I said, well, you, you mentioned it's, it's more now with the music that you're writing now along those those sort of lines and things and I mean having read up a bit about it, so I said I, did, I didn't have time to listen but I, I I love reading stories about people like this that you know it may be really sad and sorrowful and things like I did this with the chat with Matt from Haggard Cat where we talked about Sid Barrett and having that 
same sort of thing. There's something going on that not everyone could see because he's putting all this is love and stuff into the music. And you can have the happiest sounding song in the world written by the saddest person in the world. But because you're just yeah. experiencing it as music, you don't know where it, where that's coming from. But um, I feel like this is Jason Mulaney is going to be someone I'll be listening to a lot more of as well, especially if, like you said, mm-hmm. you're hearing influence in it or you're getting influence in your music. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I feel like I've I mean, the, the only thing is with artists like that, <laughs> the thing is with artists like that, when they have such an extensive catalogue, I always find that quite intimidating. Yeah. yeah. And um, yeah. because you're like, where the fuck do I start with this? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he's one of those artists that has a lot of songs to listen to but I suppose it's like yeah, where to yeah so it's where to throw yourself in isn't it I mean I had the same it's not quite the same but the same sort of idea when someone I wanted to bring up talking about the fall and uh I like I, I love reading the right, list yeah. that everyone sends me and then the first band on the list was the fall I'm like I've got like three days to prepare to have a chat with them on this and that's that's not enough time to even scratch the surface <laughs> with a band that's got like 53 records and all sorts of stuff going on about them but um <laughs> Yeah, I'll definitely have to have a look into into Jason Molina more as well. And I'm sure like with, with everyone listening, I'll, I'll make sure to share a lot of this music as well. If, you, if you're not aware of it, obviously a lot of the bands we've discussed across all of the episodes, they're pretty, um, I say easy to put your finger on, but you may have heard heard them in on the radio or something at, at some point. But these two acts you've picked up, I mean, Plots Blood, the Eiffel Tower, I think would be a big one for me to listen to as well. Albeit I have to try and stop saying that sentence in case, <laughs> in case it gets picked up. Um, Although I, I did find out it's, it's, they're named after a book, aren't they? So I guess if the book came yeah. first, then it's, you know, it's very arty. So it, it doesn't really, can't get myself in any trouble about that and things. But <laughs> and if we can, if it's all right with you guys, what, if any, do you have any musical plans? I know you've, you've got um, you know, the record stuff coming out, but is there anything that you're working together on to the wall stuff? Are there any talks with anything more than that? With to the wall, we've, we've just kind of got a, well, I have kind of got to get my ass in gear and finish it really because it's sounding amazing. It's sounding really, really heavy and just what we wanted it to sound like. And the only bits are there's little bits that I want to redo and bits we want to do over again. So, yeah, I think as soon as like everything is like done, pandemic sorted, we can get back to a working kind of thing, then most definitely. Again, and as well, summer holidays is a good time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, teacher life, eh? Oh, it's rock and roll, I tell you. <laughs> um, I'm not going to do what uh, Ollie did with the Zoom chat you guys did uh, towards the, was it the beginning of last year that you, you did one with him? Um, oh, yeah, where, during the, the pandemic. Yeah. It was yeah. during lockdown, wasn't it? Yeah. First when, one. Um, when he, he said, obviously, everyone's going to ask you, you guys going to get back together. I'm just going to stay. <laughs> I, I'm just going to say, I really hope to see you guys on a stage at some point, whether or not it's Blackfish, whether or not it's Sam doing vocals on a To The Wall record, which I, I, it doesn't doubt me you've probably thrown yourself in the booth to do something at some point. Because I guess I couldn't help myself if I was in that situation. But um, I really do hope to see you guys, you know, doing something at some point anyway. And so I know people will kick me and shout at me for not asking the question, but I'm going to be strong and I'm not going to do it. But um, <laughs> What a gentleman. <laughs> uh thank you guys so much for for joining me on this i know it's a uh, quite late on a monday and everything and we've basically watched the sun go down behind sam and his uh his lovely canal boat there as well um but I, i've had a genuine pleasure catching up with both of you um and i do mean it when i said I'd, I'd love to see you both again on the stage and i can't wait until 
gigs can happen again because I mean I'm pretty much going to go everywhere to see everyone and um, I no doubt you guys will be prolific after this as well because uh, as you said at the beginning Tom you've missed singing I'm going to stand outside my house in Cardiff and see if I can hear you singing Queen songs in your back garden next time it's uh, likely I can do it very loud <laughs> but yeah uh, thanks again guys um, and yeah, I don't know what else I want to say because I'm just trying to be really, really just holding You need a catchphrase to finish. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's that. I've been, and that's I've that. been Richard Brighton. This has been <laughs> executive God, I, producer. I already sound too much like Alan Partridge most of the time, so I'll try, I'll try not to, uh, to go too deep into that. But yeah, um, thanks a lot, guys. Thanks, Rich. Nice one.